So Solomon had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives, notice, turned away his heart. That's exactly what God warned him about. Why do you think the Word of God is so rich like this? Because it makes us accountable by the things that we read. And Solomon was accountable to this because it had been read to him many times. As a young man coming up, he would have read this. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Solomon's multiple marriages and marriages to foreign women would cause great disaster in his life. The foreign wives made Solomon more than a bad example. They ruined his spiritual life. In 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4, it says this only happened when Solomon was old, but the pattern was set with the first marriage to the Egyptian princess. It perhaps made political sense, but not spiritual sense. Such arranged marriages were a common confirmation of international treaties. But this one was the beginning of Solomon's spiritual downfall. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching, already in progress. Go, you know, doing this kind of thing, and he would make these kind of arrangements with other kings of other nations, and, 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 uh, and then he would multiply wives even on top of that. But this would be a harbinger, if you will, of what would ultimately cause Solomon's downfall. And yet, uh, God's grace, he was, he was merciful to Solomon, as was his promise that God had given to David concerning Solomon. Let me just read to you. You can put it in the margin of your Bible, but it's the Davidic covenant again. Right in your margin, right off to this verse, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, 12 through 16. 2 Samuel 7. 12 through 16. This is the Davidic covenant. And this is what it says. God speaking here says, When your days are fulfilled, David, because God is talking to David through Nathan, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, and I will be his father, and he will be my son. And if he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and from, with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul. Notice that. And God was faithful to his promise because as we get further along into Solomon's reign, we're going to see him doing these very things that God had, um, had warned him about, had actually had warned the children of Israel about before they even came into the promised land. And we'll take a look at that. But he says that um, in your house and your kingdom uh, shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. That's God's promise uh, to David. And he's coming through on this promise by having Solomon on the throne. But he warned Solomon. He warns Solomon, and David, even before he, um, before he dies, he warns Solomon about this very thing. 
But as we said before, he had a thousand wives. And uh, you might want to write in your margin again another scripture reference. It's in 1 Kings. It's in this book, chapter 11. The first 13 verses, we're going to look at that real quick. Because we're going to see, as, as Solomon takes Pharaoh's daughter to be his wife, again, this is a foreshadowing of what was going to come. Uh, and unfortunately, it didn't end well for Solomon. And you all know that through history. But notice what it says in 1 Kings 11, beginning in chapter 1. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh. Women of the Moabites. Now, I want you to remember this. Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, the Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. And Solomon clung to these in love. Write another reference down in your margin. And this is one that I've referred to a lot as we've been going through Samuel. And even now, it's a very significant passage of scripture. It's Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 16 through 18. Deuteronomy 20, verses 16 through 18. This is one of those passages. We're just going to uh, pause here in the middle of 1 Kings 11 because I have to share this with you. Because it tells, God says why he doesn't want them to intermingle with these foreign uh, uh, pagan nations. But he also says, he, he, he tells them why and the consequence of it, or what's going to come of it if you do. Notice in verse 16 in Deuteronomy 20, But of the cities, and remember, God is giving to Moses this to share with the children of Israel before they even come into the promised land. And God says, But of the cities of these people, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall not let anything, nothing that breathes remain alive. But you shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite, or the Hittite. Remember we just read about, read about that? Those are one of the wives that Solomon took to be his wife. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusite. And um, just as the Lord your God has commanded you, and here's the reason why God didn't want it. Was he just a mean God who didn't want people to enjoy themselves? God is not racist. He is not racist, but what he is, he cares about sin. And when he sees a group of people, the Canaanites, who are ripe for judgment, and God was bringing his people in as a judgment against them, why? Just because they were Canaanites and he didn't like Canaanites? Had nothing to do with race. Had everything to do with sin. They continued in their sin for so long, God used his own people as the hammer of judgment. But what happened? We know what happened. They didn't completely drive out the inhabitants of the land. They did a lot, but they, they, they let some things, uh, they didn't finish the job, and it created problems for them. And here is proof positive that this is happening even right now, that they weren't faithful in driving out those inhabitants. So let's go back to 1 Kings and continue in, chat, in verse 3. It says, and, and it speaks of uh, Solomon, that he had 700 wives. So we're back in 1 Kings 11, verse 3. So Solomon had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives, notice, turned away his heart. That's exactly what God warned him about. Why do you think the Word of God is so rich like this? Because it makes us accountable by the things that we read. And Solomon was accountable to this because it had been read to him many times. As a young man coming up, he would have read this. His dad would have read this to him. 
The Israelites knew this, but notice, For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord as God, as was the, father, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord, as did his father David. Now let me ask you a question. We know of of David's faults. We read about them. But here's the thing about David. When David made a mistake, he turned from his sin. He owned it. When he was finally busted, one time you know, it caught up to him, and the other time he just confessed it right out, and he confessed his sin, and it changed him. He, he wasn't quite the same man, but he had a depth of character in, in, in his faith with God because he had went through this horrible emotional roller coaster of being at the very heights with God and at the very depths of despair. And that's why we get some of the most wonderful psalms that we have, because they're very real to us. They're very real to us because at some point in our lives, we're going to come across many of these things that David went through. But David wasn't a perfect man, but when he did mess up, he repented and his heart was back on the Lord. That's why God could say, he's a man after my own, God, after my own heart. Doesn't that encourage you? It ought to because if you're like me, you've made mistakes, you've sinned, you've messed up sometimes. And to know that this man really, really did some horrible things. And yet this man is in heaven. He's in heaven, and we're going to see him. I'm more looking forward to seeing Jesus, but I can't wait to hang out with David. If I'll even be able to stand in line, I don't know, maybe there'll be a line at the, initially, you know, but I think we'll look at things differently then. But the thing is, I, I'm looking forward to talking to him. David, what was it like? How did, you, how did you deal with that? And maybe he'll just say, you know what, that's water under the bridge, brother. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I don't know what he's going to say, but it doesn't matter. But notice, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, which is the Mount of Olives, by the way. And on the hill that, uh, there it is, I'm sorry. And for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods, lowercase g. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this and have not kept my commandment and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servants. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days. For the sake of your father, David. You see God being faithful to his promise? Is he a covenant-keeping God when he makes a promise? Is he going to back out? Of, is he going to renege on that promise? No, he's going he's to follow through on the promises that he has made. That's who he is. He says, I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe, Judah, to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. And so we're going to see that as we go along the consequences. But polygamy, we have to understand, occurred at this time. And it was a very common thing in the Middle East and in the Near East, but it was not God's will. It was not his will. He allowed it, but it was not his will. At all. It was always God's will for there to be one man and one woman. 
In Mark chapter 10, verse 6, it says, But from the beginning, Jesus said, of the creation, God made them male and female. Here, quoting from Genesis. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh, so then they are no longer two, but one flesh. A man and a woman. That's God's order. That's God's definition of marriage. That's his definition. That's my definition of marriage. And that's the definition of marriage, period, to everyone who lives on the earth. Can I hear an amen? Yes. Between one man and one woman, there's peace and there's joy. There really is, even after 25 years. Yeah. So it's a wonderful thing. But notice verse 2 back in our text. It says, Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. Now, the high places were where people would sacrifice to their false gods. The ancient Canaanites believed that the higher they were in elevation, the closer they were to the heavens, the more that they would worship up there, the more likely their God would not only hear them, but answer them as well. And if you believe that about your God, if you've got to, if you've got to ascend to a high mountain in order for God to hear you, you might want to switch gods. You might want to change God. You might want to go get your money back. And change to a different God. Because your God is not who God should be. And who God really is. Right? But the true worshipers of God, they were to worship in the place where God had called them to. And not in an unsanctified place. Because the Canaanites and the pagans, they worshipped on those high hills and those high places. They sacrificed their children to these false gods that were mentioned earlier. Milcom and Shemosh and Ashtaroth and all these other gods. And even though they might not have been doing it at this time, the children of Israel were still, because it was a place of worship... They would go up there because the temple hadn't been built. The, the, the tabernacle was in Israel at that time. But they should have worshipped there. But they chose the high places. And they continued to worship God, but not in the way he prescribed. And I find it interesting that we don't see God really... Um, he allowed them to do that for a season. But the tabernacle of meeting that Moses built uh, at this time in uh, Solomon's life was in Gibeon uh, at that time. And David, remember, had brought the ark out of the ta- tabernacle and he had brought it to Jerusalem for a tabernacle that he had built for it. Because uh, Moses' tabernacle was sever- several hundred years old, probably falling apart, not in that good of a shape. David, when he comes into his, his reign, obviously before Solomon... He brings the ark out of that old tabernacle, brings it into a new tabernacle that he made in Zion, which is just uh, southwest of the Temple Mount. So Zion is right here, and this up here is the Temple Mount today. And in fact, if you go to Israel with us uh, next year, next March, Lord willing, you'll you'll see what they've uncovered. They, They just started uncovering this about 10 years ago. And they've uncovered David's palace and everything. It's all there. You can see the remnants of that stuff there. But that was Mount Zion. That was Zion. And that's where David had the Ark of the Covenant. That's where he had the tabernacle that he had built before Solomon, his son, had built the temple, which we all know is one of the greatest wonders of the world. But there was a place that they were to worship. And again, I'm making a big deal about these high places that 
the children of Israel, including Solomon. It says uh, in Exodus twenty twenty four. it says, God says, An altar of earth you shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, and your sheep and your oxen, and every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. So there was a specific place that God wanted his name to be placed and for him to be worshipped. A specific place. And I think you know what that is. Can anybody tell me what it is? Take a wild guess. Jerusalem. Yes, it's Jerusalem. In your margin, write down Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. Deuteronomy 12, verses 1 through 14. I'm going to read this to you. These are the statutes and the judgments which you shall carefully be, shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you to possess in all the days that you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy, notice, all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess serve their gods. All those places, I want you to destroy them on all the high mountains and on the high hills under every green tree, and you shall destroy their altars. You shall break their sacred pillars and burn their wooden images, which is the, the image of Ashtoreth, with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods, destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. But you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses, out of all your tribes, to put his name for his dwelling place, And there you shall go. There you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your heave offerings of your hand, your vowed things, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all in which he has put in your hand, you and your households in which the Lord your God has blessed you. And you shall not do as we are doing here today. Every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For as yet... You have not come to the rest and the inheritance which the Lord your God has given you. But when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and he, dw- he gives you rest from all your enemies round about, so that you shall dwell in safely, safety, excuse me, then there shall be the place which the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your heave offerings, your choice offerings which you vow to the Lord, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male servants, your female servants, the Levites who are within your gates, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. Take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see, but in the place which the Lord chooses. In one of your tribes... And who was that tribe? Judah. And there you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do what all that I command you. And so it really couldn't be any clearer than that. And finally, uh, write this reference down, Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. Let me read it to you, because it gets even clearer now. If that wasn't clear enough, he specifies uh, exactly where now. He says, Since the day that I brought my people out of the land of Egypt, I have chosen no city from any tribe of Israel in which to build a house, that my name might be there, nor did I choose any man to be a ruler over my people. Yet I have chosen Jerusalem, that my name may be there, and I have chosen David to be over my people Israel. 
So the people of God were to hallow that place of Jerusalem. They weren't to go anywhere else and worship anywhere else. And yet Solomon, even Solomon, and, 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 and you know he he would work. He's, and we're going to see he's going to slaughter a, a thousand oxen up at this high place in Gibeon. And you know what I find remarkable is that the Lord met him there. And the Lord, the first thing that out of the Lord's mouth wasn't, David, why are you doing this? What's the matter with you? Don't you know better? I mean, God didn't browbeat him. In fact, you know what God did give him? A blank check. <laughs> he gave him a blank check. He wrote, he signed his name at the bottom of the check. He dated it and he handed it to him. He says, whatever you want, it's yours. How amazing is that? Is that grace? Is that great? Are you kidding me? Grace in the Old Testament? Wasn't the God of the Old Testament this angry man in the clouds somewhere with a with a with a gavel who can't he just he waiting to smash somebody? Boy, if they mess up again, I'm just gonna mm. Is that who he is? No, it's not. Quite the opposite, actually. There is so much grace in the Old Testament, if you will just look for it. It's all over the place. Yes, God is a, there's a time when he says, okay, it's gone far enough and I must act. But until the time that God acts, all that time in between is grace and mercy. But because he is a God of grace and mercy, he has to judge when he judges but he doesn't do it on a whim. He's not a capricious God like the God of Islam who just will smite you just because you're, a, you're an infidel, just because you don't belong to Islam and you won't convert. Well, I'm just going to have you killed. God is not like that. God is not capricious in his love. He is very determined. He's very focused. He's very benevolent. And he's very patient and he's very gracious. And I love that about God because he's been so patient with me. And I know he's been patient with you. Hasn't he been gracious and patient with you? Think of all the things that you've gone through and the things that you know you should have been hammered for, and he didn't hammer you. He didn't even allow you to be found out when you were worried about being found out about something that you did. You know, the Lord could have told my mother 20 years ago, or more than that, 30 years ago, 35, almost 40 years ago, she could have told him, uh, Jan, your son was the one who set that pine forest on fire in Michigan. Yes, it was my, my friend and I. Here's a confession, but the statute of limitations is over now. But, you know, but, but then I told my mother this, you know, a couple, a couple years ago, you know, I'm like, Mom, you remember that fire? And God could have told her. I got away with it, Right? And I told my mom, she goes, that was you? She remembers very well, you know. And I thought to myself, oh, God, you know, you could, have, you could have busted me. I could have been in some serious trouble. And I wonder if I should edit this afterwards. No, just kidding. <laughs> Someone's going to turn that over to the Michigan State of Police. And they're going to be like, uh, Mr. Kellogg, you're going to jail. Um, no, but, you know... Friends, kids, we play with fire and we shouldn't. And that's a, that's a good thing for kids not to do, right? So I was proof text of what not to do. But God could have done that. He could have done that, but he didn't do it. He was so gracious and he always is. And I love this, that, you know, the people of God, they are supposed to hallow that place. Just like, I mean, this is not a temple, but it's a place that we worship and we should hallow this place. 
I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as our location, service times, information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, and information regarding Bread of Life Academy, our new school opening in the fall of 2023. Just click the school link at the top of the page for more information. Additionally, you may also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play Podcast or Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.